Welcome to Forward Progress on the Hammer Betting Network on this Tuesday, October 10th. We've got an action-packed show. We'll be discussing the Monday night football game, including breaking down Jordan Love in this Packers offense. We'll also uh, give some film analysis from two specific games, and we'll preview Thursday night football. Just a reminder, we do this every Tuesday, 2 o'clock. There's shows every day, Monday to Friday, 2 o'clock. If you haven't already, subscribe, hit the notifications bell, and like this stuff so it boosts us in the algorithm. Of course, none of this would be possible without our sponsor, Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what the pros have known for 25 years. Uh, everyday competitive odds. Bet smart. Bet Pinnacle. Must be 19 plus in Ontario. With that being said, I'm your host, George Sofidis, and I'm excited to get this show on the road. Tuesdays, I'm joined by Sharp Clark, NFL originator, betting analyst for 444.com. Sharp, thanks for joining me. Yep, always happy to discuss. I, I managed to get through every game by this by this interview or whatever this week for the first time, thanks to the four teams on by. So I've watched everything. I'm ready to talk about anything. I like it, right? We get the London game. It's its own game. We can watch it in isolation. There's bye weeks. Uh, then there's, there's going to be a week where there's six teams on by, and we really can get through the film a lot quicker. Um, there was a conversation happening in my group chat this morning, and uh, I like to lean on my group chat to get a, get a feel for how the average football fan is thinking. And there was a discussion in regards to Jordan Love and how bad he's been. And, you know, I started seeing conversations where he was getting looped in with Mac Jones and Zach Wilson. I saw, like, um, people saying this Packers offense is done. I'm off them. And, and part of me was, uh, I, I, I said, you know, maybe we should exercise some caution. They haven't had their full offense together yet. They are the youngest offense by age in the league. And Jordan Love's technically in the seventh game of his career as a starter. I said, let's judge him maybe with a full offense coming out of a bye week. But then I I started to think, and I'm like, are these is everybody right to to uh, be pessimistic now on Green Bay? Clark, where do you where do you land on Green Bay? Because there was a lot of people in the Sharp community that were on Green Bay or at least optimistic about them in the offseason. I think really the only thing that's changed is the injuries and uh, Jordan Love has been up and down, very inconsistent. He's not been great. I, I mean, I think uh, a lot of people kind of saw his draft capital and they've seen, I, I've, I'll speak for myself because I was bullish on the Packers. Um, we've seen quarterbacks that have time to develop under an experienced quarterback really, you know, show that growth when they come out. And I think in some ways he has, I mean, he's like, he does some things well, but he doesn't see the field particularly well. You know, there's been some misses. There's been some missed reads. Um, he has the he has the arm. He has the the play fakes. All the you know the kind of dressing up to be a good quarterback. It's like you you watch him in the pocket. So I I had a Raiders bet last night, and every time he dropped back, I'm like I'm freaking out because I'm like he can chuck it 60 yards downfield like that, and the whole it, you know forget driving down the field. It's like one play and he's down the field. Um, yep. And then on top of that, you've got a willingness to play aggressively and throw downfield. And the thing that that can lead to, even if Jordan Love isn't like the most accurate downfield, so many times there's a defensive pass interference because an underthrown ball, you know, receivers trying to come back to it, defender doesn't see it. So many good things can happen for the offense when you stretch the field like that, that I do think that there's a lot of room for uh, improvement here. And I think the Packers view this as a long-term project. They're not going to judge Jordan Love until after 17 games or more. Um, yeah. And so I don't think I don't think the Packers are judging him right now. And I don't think that we should really be judging his career. 
However, we do have to make week-to-week judgments in terms of betting on the Packers or against the Packers. So it's kind of a little bit of both. Like make make your judgments, but be flexible and give it time before you really, you know, close the book on Jordan Love. Yeah, I agree. And if he can just get a little bit better at some of the deep throwing because he flashes everything he has, all the tools, right? He flashes a good arm, uh, good wheels, and then he makes the oftentimes one or two boneheaded moves or throws will miss by just a couple feet, and it's so close. Like, if if Christian Watson doesn't get horse-collared, maybe this game, maybe we're talking about a 3-2 and two Packers team, despite all their injuries, right? Like, the level of optimism that changes on maybe two or three plays it is crazy. Josh McDaniel is a good play designer, and he seems to be awful at in-game management. Is this a case of a guy who's better suited to be an OC than a head coach? I guess so. I, he just shouldn't be a head coach. If you want to make him an OC, fine. But I mean, it's in, in, inexcusable. Like the the level of incompetence some of these decisions displays. It, it's unacceptable for you get paid that much money to do that job. So many people relying on you, and you miss so badly. Uh, you know, like I understand there are questionable calls. Like even his field goal uh, down eight, I I can understand the justification for that, and I think that there's some wiggle room, like some room for disagreement about whether or not that was the right call. Some of the ones last night, no, no question. The 52 yard field goal was no question, a bad decision. You cannot justify that. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's dive into actual good film uh, that we wanted to pick out from this week. Uh, I said, Clark, give me your first choice. And you said, I think I want to talk about the Bengals Cardinals. What were you seeing watching the game film? So the number one thing is, is, you know, sometimes when you watch film, the takeaway is different from what everyone is talking about. And you're like, no, 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 I watched it. These people are wrong. And sometimes you watch film and the things people are saying are true. And you just have to be like, yeah, like I agree with this. And Joe Burrow looked much better in this game. Like it is true what they're saying. He moved around. He threw the ball with zip. Like I think a lot of people point to the highlight throw where he just threw it downfield to Jamar Chase. Looked like vintage Burrow on that throw. It was a beautiful, beautiful throw. He stepped up in the pocket to make that throw, which is something that he hasn't been doing. But even even outside of that, you know, his his 15 yard outs were thrown with absolute zip on the ball. And that was something that he has been struggling with all season. And we knew this was going to be a delayed thing for the Bengals offense as Burrow gets healthier and healthier. And I think the thing that I've been waiting to see, I saw it on Sunday. Um, The question is, (laughs) is it because the Cardinals defense is so bad? Right. Like, like the level of success, I I don't think we can expect 34 points every week. The Spangles offense is worse than it was last year for reasons outside of Joe Burrow's calf. Uh, But as far as Joe Burrow's calf, I do think that question is solved. So for me, the Bengals offense is getting pushed uh, somewhere between their level of performance this year and where I had them last year. Um, I don't know where that is yet. And, and I think any better with a model that, that is based on data or observations has this question to make. Like you can't just use whatever system you use to to weight this season's data and say, well, that's what we expect from Burrow. The question no. is, how much should we weight that performance against Arizona in our you know moving forward projections? I think that's a really difficult question to answer. I think that's that's the real crux of it, right? It, it's almost like, at least offensively, it's tough to to take any of the data seriously outside of what we just saw. Uh one of the reasons why I'm not as optimistic on the Bengals as I was last year is I think the defense has taken a giant step backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, although I got, I got to give it to Lou. He started getting in his bag a little. He, he, he changed the game on a couple plays where he blitzed uh, 
uh, Jordan Battle and Dax Hills, two safeties. And I'm like, if he can get creative again and maybe create some uh, some good defensive matchups and do some stuff and scheme it up, uh, that everyone will talk about Joe Burrow's deep ball, 56 air yards to Jamar Chase. But even his first touchdown, he steps up in the pocket, hit, hits him in the back of the end zone. He had a play where he broke out of a sack, spun, yeah. hopped over another guy. He still got sacked <laughs> by the third guy, but I said, yeah. there's no chance he's doing this unless he's 100% healthy. And, and we all put it like a little bit of a decay on what their power ratings were. And But we all agreed. The second we see it and we recognize, okay, it's over, uh, we're there, and I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Uh, there's no more decay for the Bengals offense, at least for me. Even like they had this one brilliant play call where they had Joe Mixon uh, out wide uh, on the right side of the of of the line, uh, and uh, they brought Jamar Chase into the backfield, and then they did the cheat motion with Jamar Chase to the left side. That a lot of attention season lines and all they Uh, a screen to Joe Mixon who was lined up as a wide receiver just because they realized, Hey, we got a special player in, in chase and it's going to draw, you know, a lot of attention. Um, the other thing I, I saw was Arizona secondary is very vulnerable to like elite root runners. Like they couldn't, they didn't double chase and, and they let them torch. They let them torch them. Cooper cup. Like the thing, the first thing I thought after watching the game, I go Cooper cups going to kill Arizona secondary. There's no way that they're going to be able to actually cover this guy when he's running uh, some precise uh, some precise routes. Any other thoughts yeah. on the game um, from Arizona's perspective? Yeah, I wasn't as impressed with the Bengals' defense. Like maybe they had a couple plays that were good, but I mean the Cardinals were in position to go up 27-24 or 28-24 if they make the extra point uh, when they failed on that fourth down conversion deep in Bengals' territory. Um, you know, giving up that many points to the Cardinals is, you know, not that impressive to me. <laughs> yeah, totally. Let's go Titans Colts. And at first I thought like, oh, I'm going to watch the tape and uh, I'm going to talk about how Minshew played just because and Richardson will be back and it won't be relevant. But it's relevant now because Richardson is going to be out for a while. Uh, I want to start with the Colts. Um, I haven't seen a good offensive line from them for two years now and it's back like the o-line has been very good bernard raymond hasn't even played the last two games because because of concussion but even if you eliminate the 56 yard run by zach moss they still ran for over 125 yards without that play on this titan's defense uh they were pushing them off the ball oftentimes the running backs were getting to the second level there, there was a, a, a an element of the 56-yard touchdown where I believe Richardson is dangerous. Is it's the read option on third and one where you don't you have no idea who you have to defend, and because of it, uh, he blew through the second line and he was off to the races. Um, that being said, I I had read everybody was optimistic Anthony Richardson he looks much better and polished than everybody says, and I watched the film Clark and I actually don't see it. I actually think he's still wildly inaccurate outside of when um, it's schemed up very well for him and guys are wide open. I see. Uh, I know it's a tough game to say that because he, he was like nine for 12, but there was one throw that impressed me. It was, it was one where he hung in the pocket. He hit uh, Josh downs on a deep uh, corner. And I, I said, I said, okay, there's what we said in college. He'll flash the big playability, but 
Clark, did you know he's last in completion percentage over expectation? He's still wildly inaccurate, while Minshew is middle of the pack with the exact same circumstances. Min the offense actually moves the ball really well when Minshew's in there, and I understand why the market basically sees Richardson go out and they don't even react in a, in a way that says there's a downgrade. The market is treating it as if Minshew's going to run a different offense but still be efficient. Uh, I, I was really impressed by the way Shane Steichen was using uh, Josh Downs. He looks like he, he could be a special player for them. Um, as for the Titans offense, uh, Derrick Henry doesn't have the same kind of juice that uh, Ty J Spears has. I think if Henry ever went out, I, I, I don't want to say it's an upgrade, but I, I don't want to say it's a drastic downgrade either because when I see Spears touch the ball, he, he has a little bit of juice that Henry doesn't have, uh, that 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 long-term burst. And DeAndre Hopkins had a fantastic game. There was one play where he was open. He beat a zone. He found the, he found the soft hole in the zone. Outside of that, everything's covered. Like, with, there was a receiver within a yard of him every time. And... Um, that's problematic because if he's not good anymore and, and he's and and I'm saying this as he's had a great game, mind you, the Colts secondary isn't that well against a really good secondary. I, I can't see Hopkins having that much success outside of that. The game should not have stayed under. Uh, I had the under. I feel very fortunate. We had a drop pick in the end zone by the Colts that turned into the Titans three points. The Colts got stopped on fourth and one at the end of the half. The Titans got stopped in Colts territory, fourth and one uh, late in the fourth quarter. Uh, I feel very fortunate. That game should have gone over. Yeah, I thought both offenses moved the ball really well. I, I actually do think that Minshew is a downgrade from Anthony Richardson. I, I disagree with what I've seen on the film. I've been very impressed with him. Uh, he has had those highlight throws, but he also hasn't had that many bad misses. Like he's, he's making plays in the short to intermediate range that I was surprised by. Um, but, but that's not what I think the downgrade is because Gardner Minshew has also been doing that. The downgrade to me is in how the rushing attack changes when you don't have Anthony Richardson back there. Like you said on, on the zone read third and one, like yes, Zach Moss took it 55 yards or whatever, but Anthony Richardson, the threat of him running is part of what creates that. But what shocked me because I, I had a bet on the Colts. And when Anthony Richardson went down, I was I was super disappointed because one of my biggest angles was that, okay, the Titans have a really solid run defense, but really solid run defenses tend to struggle when they play those multi-directional running offenses that you can create when you have a running quarterback. And they wouldn't have that without Minshew. And for the rest of the game, they just ran it up the middle and just bullied the Titans' defensive line. It was, it was absolutely yeah. wild. Like Zach Moss was just squeezing through the line and then pushing forward for five, six, seven yards consistently and it was just shocking like that that was what surprised me about this game was how good the Colts run game looked with Gardner Minshew so it might just be that this offensive line and run scheme is just really well designed um and the offensive line is playing really well especially if they get Raymond back so it could be not a downgrade overall but but that's my hesitance in saying well they're just gonna keep trucking along with Gardner Minshew like if you remember the Ravens game that Minshew won it was a lot of yeah. really long field goals for the Colts uh it wasn't and a particularly and, great and, offensive and performance yeah. yeah, a lot of fumbles, fortunately. Like, the Colts yeah. got very lucky to to come away with the win in that game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, as, as far as Hopkins goes, like, their play-action game creates those one-on-one -on -one opportunities, and Hopkins can catch anything within his radius. So, <laughs> you know, he'll have some up-and-down games for sure. He's not vintage Hopkins, but I, I don't think that's his last good game of the year. Like, I think he's going to have some more blow-up spots. Not in London, though, right? Not in London. I think uh, Marlon has. 
Marlon, Marlon Humphrey is going to put some wraps on him. Okay, let's talk about Anthony Richardson because, you know, two, uh, what, he, what has he played? Four games, two of them he didn't finish, uh, missed the game, and now they're talking about this injury as if it's a four-week injury. But I read comments that say this thing lingers for three to four months before you have full arm strength again because it's a grade three sprain. Um, is he's going to have to learn how to avoid hits, right? Like I get it. You're big and you're physical and maybe you can run over guys in college when every, you know, half the, the, the defense you're playing against are future accountants, nothing against accountants, but in the NFL, you can't, you can't just put your shoulder through everybody. He's going to have to change some of his play style, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is part of the deal. Like I know people have these data on like, running quarterbacks aren't more likely to get injured. And I, I think that's just bad data, like small sample size data skewed by the number of rushing attempts by Lamar Jackson, who is amazing at avoiding contact, getting out of bounds or getting on the ground outside yeah. of him. You know, Justin Fields has been hurt. Um, you know, RG three got hurt early in his career. Cam Newton got hurt a bunch. Uh, you know, Anthony Richardson has been hurt twice in five games. Uh you know, like you, you, Jalen Hurts suffered an injury last year. Josh Allen dealt with some kind of elbow thing last, like, and and it, it's not that it's not that running means you're always going to get hurt, but it's just you're taking more hits, and taking more hits is just like logically speaking more likely to lead to injury. And Anthony Richardson does not avoid contact well, um, so I, so I would I would expect that to be a lingering issue. And I think if the Colts' future is staked on his progression as a quarterback, that's kind of a scary thing for the Colts. As long as they got a guy like Gardner Minshew as a backup, like they can still be competitive if the surroundings are good enough. But I do think that that's a serious concern moving forward. I thought they were very poignant to go get Minshew, and I thought the the Panthers were as well with Andy Dalton. Two smart veteran backups that are not bad in a pinch uh, or even for a few games if their starter goes down. All right, let's talk about Brock Purdy because – uh, whether we like it or not, he is the favorite or uh, second favorite to win the MVP. Um, Clark, where do you start to land on Brock Purdy? All right. So we had this conversation last week about Tua. And I think that there's a difference between Tua and Purdy. The, the similarities are that, you know, his his success, his EPA per play, his success rate, all that kind of stuff is a product of a combination of his play and the surroundings and the scheme around him, right? Like Brock Purdy does not put up this, these EPA per play numbers if he's on the Patriots offense, right? I mean, we all, we all know that if you, if you disagree with that statement, then you're just, you're not watching football. Um, But the difference between Tua and Purdy to me is that Tua actually brings some special characteristics to the field. Like Tua has limitations and he'll never be an elite quarterback in my opinion, because he lacks some serious things, but his uh, decision-making and how quickly he releases the ball and his instincts and his precision on throws with so little time to wind up uh, is part of what makes that Miami offense run the way that it does, right? You can't just plug any quarterback into that offense and expect it to be as explosive because Tua's brain processing is so fast and his, and his body moves so quickly that it's a special thing that he brings. Brock Purdy in my opinion, doesn't bring anything special to the table. Like he, he, you know, makes, he makes, he's decisive. Uh, He's mostly accurate. Like he's not exceptionally accurate, but he's mostly accurate. He's throwing at guys that are open and he's making the right decisions. He sees the field, you know, he moves around in the pocket and outside the pocket fairly well. Like he's, he's not a statue back there the way Jimmy Garoppolo could be sometimes. Um, 
but nothing that I've seen in his entire career. And I'm a, I'm a pro Purdy guy. Like, you know, everyone knows that I've been pro San Francisco for, you know, ever since Purdy took over and he's been crushing it against the spread. He's been delivering, you know, when it counts, but I do think you could plug in a handful of quarterbacks, a lot of quarterbacks into that offense and have them perform, you know, just as well, provided you give them all the, you know, the coaching and the, the week to week, you know, like playing with that offense that he's had for this long. Um, yeah. So I don't think there's anything really special about Purdy. That said, I'm not like fading the 49ers because I think Purdy's coming back down to earth because Purdy is in that offense. They do have an elite scheme and elite weapons and Purdy is operating it really well with confidence and decisiveness. Um, so there's no reason to think that that's going to stop anytime soon. But I do think, you know, if in five to 10 years, we've seen more of Purdy's career and it turns out that this was the best he's ever played in his career. Like, you know, I can almost guarantee that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I want to give you an analogy with Formula One, but then I also want to give you some numbers because I think, uh, you know, numbers lie and liars use numbers. And depending on what case you want to make the good, right? leading the league in QB rating and second in completion percentage and number one in combined EPA and CPOE, number one in success rate, all the good things you can say about uh, Brock Purdy. Now here's some of the knocks, right? He's number 16 in air yards per throw. He's not, he, he's not particularly um, challenged uh, as far as throwing complicated throws. He has one fourth career quarter career comeback drive to win the game against the Raiders. It was the Jared Stidham game where, uh, Derek Carr, they didn't want to get him hurt, so Stidham played and played very well. So he hasn't been asked to be like he's playing with the lead. This is how good the San Francisco team is. Um, his turnover-worthy throw percentage is also average. It's league average. It's not like he's been so accurate in making um, you know uh, very good throws and, and never puts like there's been a little bit of fortunate uh, you know fortunate circumstances around that. That being said we need to stop measuring people in a vacuum and, and like everybody wants to say, well, what if Purdy was on the Patriots and Mac Jones was on the 49ers? Well, here's the thing. They're not going to make this trade. That's not happening this year. I remember uh, during formula one's dominance, uh, Lewis Hamilton was the best driver in the world. And Max Verstappen was putting pressure on him. But uh, Lewis Hamilton's uh, teammate, uh, Valtteri Botas was often second or third in the league. And, he wasn't that kind of a driver. We all knew it, but he was in a fr in a freaking Mercedes, which was the best car on the track by a mile. And because of it, the results sp spoke for themselves. So while you might not think Purdy is a top five or 10 quarterback in a vacuum, in his circumstance, he's in a position to succeed because Shanahan is a brilliant play caller. Their weapons are tremendous, and Brock Purdy's not being asked to do much. There's not many times you see Purdy have to go to his third read to make a throw. And oftentimes the game script favors him being up and they can bleed the clock with McCaffrey and Ayuk and Debo and he can hit these guys. Whereas I, I don't, I've seen it with Tua. People want to say Tua is maximizing a Shanahan offense. Yes, but Tua also has led fourth quarter drives where he's made big throws when he's had to. I haven't seen it yet with Purdy. I've only seen it once. He hasn't, he hasn't been tested yet. Good for good thing for him is like San Francisco is a house. This team is incredible, top to bottom. Probably the best roster in the NFL. Yeah, and and the thing about it is, there's a film specific thing that benefits Purdy too, and that 
anytime they run that play action of Christian McCaffrey, just watch how many defenders key into McCaffrey. And so when he's released that play action, he looks at the field and he's got single coverage everywhere. And IU is such a good route runner. You got Debo Samuel out there too. George Kittle now getting involved. Like there are guys flying wide open. And like, I'm not saying it's easy to run an offense, like even for, you know, any quarterback, but like, as far as comparing performances, especially statistically, like you have to account for that stuff. Um, the, the thing about it is we, we won't know the answer to this for several years, and this won't be relevant for several years because what what Purdy is is one of the most valuable quarterbacks in the NFL in terms of uh, salary, right? Like what he's doing on the salary that he's getting paid is, is really good. And so yes. what's going to get really interesting is in three years, and it's time to decide whether they want to pay him two years, whatever, um, that's going to be where the key is, right? Because if they pay him $45 million, that could be end up being a mistake, right? You, you have to get rid of some of those surrounding pieces. The rest of the team falls apart. Now you've, you're paying everything. You've got the Daniel Jones situation, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I totally agree. I, I cannot wait to see how this unfolds. Uh, Clark, there was a – oftentimes coach speak doesn't lead to much unless it's, you know, uh, unless they get off script a little bit. I think Frank Reich went a little bit off the reservation this week, and I want to pull up this audio of Frank Reich at the podium. Listen in, and then we'll react. There's different philosophies in ownership. You know what I mean? Some owners kind of stay stay away and and don't engage a whole lot. Other owners do, and his philosophy is he's going to engage. And, um, and listen, it's only been a short experience but it's been a really good experience. Uh, it hasn't been fun. You know, it's not fun. Those, those meetings aren't, I wouldn't characterize them as fun meetings, um, but those meetings make me better and I trust they make us better. There's different flops. All right, Clark, uh, there, the speculation was the Panthers moved up and Frank Reich wanted CJ Stroud who fits his mold, right? Big body quarterback, uh, Josh McCowan uh, during his QB tape, you know, glowed over CJ Stroud. And from everywhere you read, the Panthers organization, starting from the top, came in and said, no, 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 no. We're drafting Bryce Young here. He's the guy with pedigree. He's the guy we want. Do you think Frank Reich was uh, alluding to that? Or are we all just reading a little too much into it? I, I think it sounds like you're reading too much into it, but you never know. I, I, think, I think what that specific comment was about was just like, he's having meetings with the owner and, and like, I think, I think most coaches kind of get to do their job. Right. And it sounds like uh, David Tepper or whoever is, is, uh, is really like hands-on and, and Frank Reich sounds like, sounds like he doesn't really appreciate that. Right. I mean, he's, he's saying it's been a good experience, but it doesn't sound like it's been a good experience. Um, what I worry about is like, I've never really been that big of a fan of Frank Reich in the first place um, there, you know, and I also don't think that like, they, they traded away their best receiver and they're expecting Bryce Young to succeed with, you know, Adam Thielen, 38 year old Adam Thielen. I know he's not 38, but uh, Adam Thielen as a wide receiver one is it's an uphill battle and the offensive line is not playing particularly well. So, and they've lost a bunch of defensive players. So this is sort of a, a losing team with a, a coach. And now there's some brewing conflict between coach and I know like, this is just the type of situation that um, is very, is it's very unlikely to turn around mid season. Um, the question is, if enough of this happens, how does that impact perception of the team? And can you find value on the spread uh, eventually mm -hmm. when people are just like refusing to bet on a team that's that bad? That's for me, that's the question. I'm, I'm not there yet, but, but there's always a, there's always a spot where that happens. 
I think uh, if Miami railroads Carolina, I think we can turn it all up next week. The 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 funny thing is, I I um, am conflicted on Frank Reich. I think he uh, he has right the right ideas of what uh, a sharp offense looks like, and 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 using analytics and being ahead of the curve. I just don't think he's a great play designer. So he might have the same philosophies of, of a Shanahan or Mike McDaniel without the magic of you know uh, root combos and uh, you know cheat motion and everything else that they bring. The 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 thing that reminded me though, we're going to talk about you know Brock Purdy and how he's excelling in Shanahan's offense. Shanahan wanted that kind of quarterback, right? He wants Matt Ryan. He wants. A, a, a guy who can process well, doesn't need the strongest arm, just a guy who, who can understand uh, here's your box and play within it uh, and I'll do the rest. When the 49ers traded up, if you remember the, the market steamed towards Mac Jones, everyone thought that Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones. We didn't hear till years later that that's who he wanted, but John Lynch and ownership went with Trey Lance. They bought the tools and they, and they try to conform Shanahan to a Trey Lance. I, oftentimes I believe roster building is collaboration. You need a smart GM and a smart coach and to have the same vision. And even when you disagree uh, on a player, let the, let the GM maybe perhaps um, try to convince the, the head coach in a direction they want to go, except at quarterback, you got to marry your head coach and your play caller to your quarterback. If the, if that's mm-hmm. not their preferred option, and that's not the kind of quarterback they want, don't do it. Don't do it. If Frank Reich wanted C.J. Stroud and they oversaw and they went with Bryce Young, I think that could be a dis- – when Frank Reich and everybody gets fired in two years and we're, and Bryce Young is not the starting quarterback and wondering why and C.J. Stroud has turned Houston's entire franchise around, this will the story's going to come out, Clark, that – Dave Tepper told him you got to draft Bryce Young because that's when we're going to get the story. It's always a couple years later. Let's look at um, let's look at the market uh, and market moves because we got some weather this this week, Clark, and uh, some of the unders have been bet down aggressively. We'll save the Thursday nighter till our Thursday night football break. Um, with the with the London game, I want to start there. Were you surprised that the market initially came down towards Tennessee, even though now it's bounced back? Uh, with some Baltimore money. Cause I, I was surprised given that I think Baltimore's final score against Pittsburgh was misleading. Yeah. I think Baltimore's score was misleading in such an obvious way that the, the money on Baltimore was inevitable. Like this wasn't, this wasn't some kind of secret that like advanced analytics or like detailed film watching showed you like the Ravens dropped a million passes and the Ravens should have won that game by 20 points. Like it, there was a block punt for safety. There was, I mean, it was, it was an absolute disaster in terms of results, but nothing about the process indicates that the Ravens are not a good team from that game. So I, I'm not surprised by the money on Baltimore. I was a little surprised by the money on Tennessee. All right. What about this uh, Vikings and Bears game? Line starts at three and a half with a 49 as a total. And right now, if you bet the opener, you're laughing because you're at 44 and a half. And right now, the Vikings are two and a half. Now, I don't want to say this is just Jefferson because I believe – People were aware Sunday night that it could be a multiple week injury, right? The guy wasn't in there in crucial ending of the game and hamstrings usually linger. Then the the weather reports came out. That's it, right? This was strictly driven on, on weather. I think it's a combination of those things. And then the unanswered questions that follow from the Jefferson IR news, right? Is, is there was always this hope that the Vikings are going to turn this around. They've been playing better than their record says. Their defense has been improved under Flores. They're going to get it together eventually. 
but now you're putting Jefferson on IR and you lost another game that you could have won. And it's you're one and four. Um, I, I think there's questions about what the Vikings direction is from here. Like, do they want to keep cousins around? Do they want to like, and I'm not saying they're going to trade cousins within the week, but I think the, the people that were looking to bet Chicago, it, everything has been one way in terms of pushing that game towards making those bets earlier than later, which is, I think why we saw it dip under the three. Um, and, and so I think, I think it's more, it's more of the entire looking at the Vikings season, uh, basically ending this week. <laughs> well, do you think he gets back to the three? Because at some point, you know, cooler heads are going to prevail and people are going to sit there and say, wait a minute, KJ Osborne, Jordan Addison, TJ Hawkinson, this bear secondary still not very good. And, and maybe it doesn't get healthy. We got to see injury news. This could be a Kirk Cousins ha- plays really well and they squeak out a win here. Uh, do you think we get a buyback to three or do you think it stays under the two and a half, two and a half or fluctuates? I think the concern is that Cousins has never been particularly good without good weapons. And Jefferson might be the most valuable offensive player in the NFL who's not a quarterback. Um, you can make a case for a couple other guys, McCaffrey or Tyreek Hill maybe, but uh, but this is a huge, huge loss for the Vikings offense. Um, so I think, I think that's a concern. And then the Bears... Two weeks in a row now, their offense has looked very competent. Um, so yeah. I think there's there's some expectation that the the Bears' offensive trend line is pointing up, and they did this last year too, where they started slow and they kind of figured some things out over the course of the season. You added DJ Moore, so I think there's more yeah. optimism on the Bears too. Um, so I, I I don't know. I think it's going to be a wrestling match at two and a half three. Like um, like there's a couple games like that this week. Um, yeah. But but I I don't I honestly don't know where that one ends. I'm having a hard time pricing Minnesota's offense without Jefferson. Yeah, I, I am as well. I think he might be the single biggest, maybe Tyreek Hill, but like I think it's one A and one B, two biggest impacts at receiver. Uh, the, not for what, just I, what I want to. Yeah. I was going to say like weather impacts the total significantly. So we saw 49 drop down to 44 with potential weather concerns as well as a Jefferson injury. But weather also impacts the spread, right? I mean different teams play differently in different weather conditions. And if Chicago is going to rely more on, you know, sort of backyard ball and, and Justin Fields running around like that yeah. in, in, in wet conditions that can lead to some big plays that otherwise aren't there. Whereas Kirk cousins is, he kind of needs all the conditions to be perfect to succeed. Right. He, this is not a good dome, you know, dome quarterback. He's not in, when the bad weather comes, Kirk cousins melts a little bit. Yeah. Um, so you have to factor that in too, if, if you're betting on the Vikings. Uh, here's a game that probably will tussle between two and a half, three uh, Bengals and Seahawks. Uh, if you like what you saw with the Bengals, you like them at two and a half. And if you're, uh, if you're still a little bit pessimistic or just frankly, like the Seattle team and how Devin Witherspoon looked and Tariq Woolen before the, before the buy, you're probably a buyer on Seattle at three. And I think it's going to be a back and forth battle all week. Yeah, I think the one thing we can say for sure is that Seattle secondary is going to do a better job than Arizona secondary did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, absolute embarrassing show from the Cardinals secondary. So, so that could make all the difference, right? Burrow has struggled in every game where they faced a tough defense. So, the way Seattle played defense on Monday Night Football really sent a message. So, I, I think if you're if you're betting Seattle, that's what you're relying on. All right, if you're looking at an odd screen, uh, you know, the the line on the San Fran keeps creeping up. It's up to five and a half now, pretty much uh, across the board. Pinnacle has a minus five, minus 21, which is essentially five and a half. Um, I was a little surprised to hear yesterday morning that Deshaun Watson, uh, his shoulder's still not ready to go. And I wonder if he decided it in the third quarter of Sunday night's game that his shoulder still wasn't ready to go. Um, 
if he's out, there's there's no this thing's this thing's going over seven, right? Like we're we're gonna fly this thing over. Now my question is, if he's in, will we get some Cleveland buyback here at five and a half? Maybe, but probably probably not for me. <laughs> um, you know, like a, a few a, a while ago, it's been it's been many years now. But there was a, a Browns team that was so bad that they kept missing the spread. Like no matter how big you made the spread, they were failing. I think it was um, Hugh Jackson or whatever. Yes, it was um, Hugh Jackson. And, and, and it was one of those things where like, you know, sharp betters are always like, well, there's a number on every game. And like, you, you know, these are NFL teams and you make this spread big enough. You have to take the underdog. I'm, I'm for the first time, I'm wondering like, are the 49ers a team you just can't bet against? Like, like, are they just that much of a truck when fully healthy? Like granted, they, they might not be fully healthy all year, but right now in the current iteration, the way their defense is playing and the way their offense is playing, it's like, there's no weakness on that team. Um, And and because of the way that they run their offense, like they're front runners, they score with the lead. And then when the other team is trailing, they're just teeing off and you've got incredible speed and power at, at the front seven. It's just extremely difficult to do anything against them. So, so I'm not running to find the low point on, you know, like, well, how big does the spread have to be for me to back the Browns? Yeah. Obviously yeah. there's an answer there somewhere, but it's just, you know, okay. Let's say you take plus six with, with Deshaun Watson and the Browns. And the Niners get the ball first and drive down the field and score a touchdown. Like, what do, what are you doing? You're like, yeah, I've lost that bet. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. It can get uh, it can get uh, out of uh, out of hand in a hurry. It, it's funny, like uh, against uh, uh, no opponent when you're considering teams on a spectrum, the the spread doesn't justify this kind of line, right? But when you start factoring in matchups, it's like Cleveland's in trouble here, man. Like this offense doesn't look good yet. And this is not the type of defense to try to get right against. You need to be a really well-oiled machine to step in front of this defense because, like, they're all athletes. They're all supermen out there. It's a really good defense right now. Yeah, yeah. And and they might lose a couple games in the regular season. Like, every team has, you know, tough games. Maybe Purdy gets some tipped passes. He had a lot of passes tipped at the line against Dallas that, you know, fortunately didn't bounce in the Cowboys defenders' hands. You know, you can always fumble. There's special teams. There's all kinds of things that can happen. Um, but like betting on those things happening and this game, this is the game where regression happens. Like it's not a, it's not a game that I like to play. No. Well, if Cleveland does win, I promise you it's not going to be Deshaun Watson putting up 300 yards and looking fantastic. Miles Garrett is going to have to drag this defense uh, and, and cause some havoc. Some of those turnover worthy throws that Purdy has thrown, but, has no zero interceptions. They, they might need two of those to to switch this game. All right, let's talk Indy Jacksonville. I find this line fascinating because there's buy points everywhere. It's it's gone from like five, four and a half, four back to four and a half, back to four. It's fluctuated between forty five and a half to forty six. There, there's different buy points where people like overs, they like unders. Um, then you're also factoring in the fact that Jacksonville has been in London for two weeks. And they set their internal clocks to London time and they got to get back home. They probably have to see people they haven't seen for two weeks and maybe do some grocery shopping and maybe life. There's a there's a life uh, position here and we, we have no data on how a team is affected after two weeks. And then at the same time, we're dealing with a quarterback change. So there's a lot of variables here. Do, you said you like games where there's a lot of playback and it's not one way action. You must like the market move on Indy Jacksonville. It must be fascinating to you. Yeah, I haven't really broken that game down yet but the game's at 1 p.m right so the the london you know body clock thing probably isn't too concerning just because 
you know, one o'clock game Eastern time is like a 7 p.m. game in, in London. So it's not like they're playing at a time that they wouldn't be awake typically, but there are some adjustments you have to make with practice times and all that kind of stuff. I get that. Um, yeah. But, you know, this is the NFL. Like those kinds of travel things tend not to be too dramatic. Um, I, th- I think the spread is is probably right. I haven't, I, like I said, I haven't done a full breakdown, especially with Gardner Minshew. Um, but, but yeah, it, it is a fascinating game. And I think it's going to be huge for the divisional picture. All right, let's let's look at three more games and then we'll break down the Thursday night football game. Detroit Tampa Bay, uh the line has kind of hovered uh in between the 3 and 3 and a half uh pinnacle though you can you could still get a, a minus 3 minus 109. Everywhere else though they're they're, they're charging you 15, 20, 25 cents if you want to get on Detroit right now. Amon Ross St. Brown and Mike Evans, th- those are the two injuries to watch, right? If it like they got away with not having a Mon Ross St. Brown against this Carolina defense because you can you can run on Carolina. Tampa's got a good defense, and if you don't have a Mon Ra who's your best weapon, it might be harder for them to generate some offense. And and the other position is, you know, Mike Evans being out, you know, it could be detrimental temp to Tampa Bay. How are you looking at this game early in the market? I think the Lions defensive injuries are also significant. They lost Mosley now. You know, they already yes. lost C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Um, they right. Brian Branch missed last game. If he misses again, that matters. Like, as much as the Lions defense has improved, there's a, you can't lose this many guys and expect to continue that level of play. So, to me, I think that's what's keeping the spread down is all of the Lions injuries. Um, if Amon Ross St. Brown plays and Jameer Gibbs plays and uh, Brian Branch plays, then I, I do think we'll see this come off the three uh, moving upwards. For sure. All right. Arizona and the Rams. Um, no James Conner out for a few weeks. Uh, the Rams started at six. They're at six and a half in most places, or you can get a six minus one nineteen at Pinnacle. Do you think we touch seven, or you think, uh, or do you think there's going to be some late buyback on the Cardinals later in the week? Because both these teams have taken money this year, right? The 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 Rams got bet down against the Eagles, and Arizona got bet down to three against the Bengals. Uh, what, where do you see this one landing? It's tough to say. Um, I, I doubt it gets under six. I think the range is six to seven here. Um, I, I just think that there's too much optimism around the way Cooper cup looked when he returned to the field last week. I mean, he played basically all the passing snaps and it, it was like opening drive. They peppered him with, with, I think it was like four catches for like I've had, 40 I've yards. Catched on six targets. It was incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So, so now you've got Cooper Cup and uh, uh, Nakua, um, yeah. and and you know Stafford is just slinging it. So it's it tough to see that number getting any lower. Uh, but the Cardinals, like you said, have been super popular as underdogs. Um, you know, wh- wh- when you bet on a team like that, they're kind of like plucky and feisty and like to stay in games. Um, but it's also like we've seen this in so many years before where a team just keeps playing above its weight level. And then eventually it just kind of like runs out and realizes, wow, there's like no talent on this roster. Um, yeah. And I think, especially with a couple injuries uh, on the Cardinals, like we're approaching that area where it's, it gets a little bit dicier to kind of put your money on them. Well, th- there's, here's how about the Sunday nighter? This is a game with uh, weirdly correlated uh, line moves. Um, we get the news that Elijah Vera Tucker is out for the jets. And normally you don't assign any, uh, point spread value to an offensive guard except if he's the only good offensive lineman on a really bad o-line and they happen to be playing a really good defense with two monsters at defensive tackle um 
the totals being bet down, it, it started at 42 and a half and we've gotten down to 41 and a half because there's bad weather. We mentioned on the East coast, you know, if you're New York and Ohio and all these places and yet the Philly money's come in and Philly's gone from six to seven now. And it's like, Oh, the correlation is we just think Philly's like the jets are not going to move this ball on Philly. Right. That's because the, usually, you know, you see the under come down, uh, the total come down, the dog gets a little bit of love too, but that's not the case in this game. No. And I think Philly has a big advantage in the trenches. So if this game's going to turn into a run battle, especially if Philadelphia has the lead, like who does that favor? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and it, the, yeah, it has the makings of a, probably, go ahead. What were you saying? As it has the makings of a low scoring kind of, you know, Eagles control the clock and, and the jets just get three points or whatever. Yeah, and they're gonna need their corners back. They they played the game without DJ Reed and Eccles, and uh, I know Sauce is good, but you know you can you can throw everywhere away, away from him like the Cowboys did when they targeted Lamb when uh, Sauce was not on him, and the Bills did it with Diggs when Sauce was not on him. Right, that's the advantage of having two really good receivers. They, Sauce can only play on one of them, and and you yeah. get to move them around. Let's look at the Thursday nighter. Um, this is a weather game. I won't say who, but somebody um, told me that they bet the opener of 51 over uh, on Denver and Kansas City. But he forgot to check the weather report. So now it's sitting at 47 and a half. Uh, we're looking at rain in this game. Uh, gusts, you know, over, nine, uh, over 25 miles per hour. The totals crashed from 51, 47 and a half. The line still remains at 10 and a half. Uh, Clark, my first question is, if this is a severe weather game, who does this benefit? Like, do you see Denver money coming in right here? You know, the way that the Chiefs run game has improved this year, like Isaiah Pacheco is playing really well. Um, I think that this isn't the same way you would treat Chiefs in the past where everything is downfield. Like Mahomes is having to kind of dial it back a little bit with the weaknesses at receiver. Um, and I think the I don't think the weather is keeping people off Denver. I think as people watch the film of the Jets Broncos game, they're having flashbacks. At least I did of last year's Russell Wilson. Like so far this year, Russell Wilson has looked better. He's looked more mobile, agile, you know, he's like not as wildly inaccurate, not making terrible decisions, but against the Jets, especially in the second half, he turned into, it was like, wow, I'm watching 2022 Russell Wilson and it is ugly. Um, yeah. And I think that's the concern. Uh, it's like turning people off being like, ah, you know, I should I take the hook over the 10 with the Broncos? And then they just look at Russell Wilson and be like, this is not the quarterback in weather that I want to be backing. And I think that's probably going to keep it up there. Well, consider this, um, you know, Eric Eager once talked about the dynamic of when the Chiefs have a really important game the next week, they'll scale back some of their playbook and, and use it to really prepare for the next opponent. Next week they got the Chargers. It's the game. You beat the Chargers and you've, you know, you're in cruise control to win the division. You factor in it's a short week. So less time to, you know, maybe draw up a game plan. You factor in that um the weather's bad. Like I know Kelsey came back in the game and he he's diagnosed with a low ankle sprain. Is this the game though? Uh if it's wet and sloppy. Is this the game that you want Kelsey out there running a full route tree? Maybe, maybe not. He didn't practice yesterday. I know he's limited at practice today. Um, I think he's going to go because he's, he's a warrior. I just don't know that uh, maybe he has the best game. Uh, if the weather is bad and, and the Chiefs are forced into a dink and dunk offense, 
Um, maybe the Broncos keep it close. Uh, but the fear is that, you know, Jerry Judy gets traded on Friday and uh, you're you're in you're in with a bad number. I, I like the ender in this game. I liked it at uh, 49 and a half. Uh, I still think at 48, I still think there's some value if you can get the under at 48. That's how I view this game. Um, were you looking to make a bet on this game? I haven't decided yet. It's another. So I, I just finished watching the film right before we got on. And then I like to like go back and, and do my sort of pre-injury, you know, projections for every game. And that's, that's my next step. So um, we'll see. I, in the past, I would have been eager to jump in on the Broncos. Um, but I think this year's chiefs is a different team. They're, they're playing much better defense and that can make a big difference in terms of covering a big spread. Whereas in the past it's been like, Oh yeah, well they're going to blow a lead anyway. Cause their defense sucks. That's just not the case anymore. Um, and the way Russell Wilson's playing, projecting him into weather, you know, playing with a deficit, it's it's just not a good backdoor situation. There's also um, there's this dynamic on Thursdays where you know big spread favorites often do well because they say it's less of X's and O's and prep, and it's just pure talent. Who's got the yeah. way better team? And the Chiefs are far more talented. Uh, it'll be an interesting game. I'm praying for some high wins and you know. Field goal, uh, no field goals, and all the good stuff. Uh, I want, I want a nice, low-scoring, trashy game. My favorite kind of game. Clark, thanks so much for joining me and breaking down some film and discussing Brock Purdy and all the good stuff today. Yep, thanks, George. As a reminder, Forward Progress will be back again tomorrow at two o'clock with Rob Pozzola, Eric Eager, Suma, and Hitman giving you their best bets and breaking down games from a betting perspective. Drop us a like before you bounce. Please do that. That's it for me. Thanks to Sharp Clark. Thanks to producer Jason. And thanks to you, the audience. Until next time.